The products discussed in this podcast are only available in the United States. Hello and welcome to the quarterly update podcast for the Loomis Sales Strategic Alpha Fund, where portfolio managers share their thoughts on the markets and their strategies. My name is Erica Casal from the Texas Investment Managers, and today Matt Egan, portfolio manager on the Strategic Alpha Fund, joins me. Welcome to the show, Matt. Hi, Erica. Great. Well, I think we should just dive right into it. We did have an eventful Q2 um, in terms of monetary policy. We did get the long-awaited pause from the Fed. Um, from your team's perspective, do you think this pause will last? And are we seeing enough improvement in the data to meaningfully change how the Fed will act moving forward? Well, actually, I think you know it started out as people thinking of pause, and and I think there might be one more rate cut, uh, rate hike in store uh, for the next meeting. So we've been calling for a long time for the uh, Fed to be peaking out here. Our big picture backdrop. Uh, remains that there are still in inflation tailwinds from a structural perspective. And we talk about the four Ds, which are demographic pressures and wages, the effect they have on wages. We talk about deglobalization. We talk about decarbonization and finally structural deficits. So those factors over the long run, uh, we think, push inflation above the Fed's 2% target more persistently than what we experienced during the key QE era, you know, the post-financial crisis GFC era. Uh, but cyclically, we do think that inflation has peaked. It's coming down off of very high numbers, you know, 8 9%. As we are getting on the line today, the data for the CPI came out as an important number, and that continued to show some moderation. Now, I suspect that going from nine to say five, four, five percent inflation, while not, I wouldn't say it's easy to do. A lot of that inflation was goods related and relate, you know, and, and bottleneck related to the to the pandemic. And those factors are perhaps, you know, going to resolve themselves in any any effect. And of course the Fed's rate hike has had an impact. But I think going back to the two percent is going to be problematic. But you know, nonetheless, when you look at where the Fed is now, let's say they get it to five and a half percent, what's gone on here is, and it's important to understand, is what real rates is what matters. So the real rate has increased all across the curve, including on the front end. So what's happened is real rates now are positive across the cur curve, including in the short end of the curve. So the policy rate has come up and now is a lot higher or meaningfully higher than the run rate inflation, if you look at core inflation or whatever. So that has only, only happened recently, you know, in the last, say, six months, in only a relatively minor amount. It was last time I looked, it was about 30 basis points if you lose, use the inflation rate. So the Fed is now restrictive or going restrictive, and that, with the lag, is biting, and we're seeing the economic data kind of slowing down on the margin, although, honestly, it's very, the, the economic data has been surprisingly resilient, a little bit in line with what we were expecting. And so what, what, what all this means, I believe, is that the Fed is likely to you know, reach this pause level as we're talking about it and then stop and then wait for a long period of time. And I think now if you look at what's priced in the market, the market has kind of come to that, which has been our view, that is kind of baked into consensus more or less right now. So that's where we are on the, on the, on the short rate side. 
And I mean, that is an important thing to keep in mind, not only for for fixed income investors, but also your team's portfolio construction process does take, you know, that top down macro view of the marketplace. Um, and, and one of the indicators you use, you know, last time we were together, you maintained that we were in the late expansion phase of the credit cycle. Has that changed at all over over the, the last quarter? No, and surprisingly not. I think the market for, for now, more than a year now, has been expecting a downturn. You know, it's been pricing in a downturn in the credit markets, you know, a relatively mild one. And we too have been expecting a downturn on the horizon, you know, and again, not a, a very big drop for by any stretch. Uh, but, you know, even with that, that outlook, it, it seems like the market has, or the economy has held up very well. You know, GDP is still kind of chugging along. The unemployment rate, you know, it's remains still very low. Jobs seem to be plentiful. And, you know, that that's giving kind of headaches for the Fed. You know, they want to see that, you know, they want to see that moderate. You know, they, you know, we heard Jay Powell say right out that, you know, he felt that labor market's too tight. But this goes back again to the, the lag feature. So, you know, we always expected it to kind of lag more than the market was expecting. It goes back to that real rate view because the Fed you know, hasn't gotten restrictive in a monetary policy sense until quite recently. You know, it's starting to bite uh, with a lag. And you know, the, the banking crisis was part of that. You know, that that's part of the, that's a symptom of the process. And we're, we're getting uh, labor numbers that are decelerating. And I wouldn't be surprised to see the unemployment numbers ticking up by the back half of this year. So. We still are, you know, our our mindset is that there's a downturn coming, but it's going to be relatively mild, what I call run-of-the-mill. You have to go back, you know, pre-GFC to see these kinds of economic downturns. They tend to be, you know, short-lived, a couple quarters. I think what we're going to see is basically low growth, vacillating between, say, a negative real GDP print, slight negative, slight positive so below trend growth is where what we see um, on the on the in the future here, and I would say for that it's going to be, you know, I look out by the end of this year at the earliest to into into 2024 before you have a true honest to goodness downturn that you can plot on a graph. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Appreciate your perspective there. Switching gears a little bit, and as a reminder to listeners, this product, the Strategic Alpha Fund, falls within the non-traditional bond Morningstar category, which is a, a difficult grouping in that there's such a wide variety of investment styles and really investment goals. It can be hard to really make apples to apples comparison. With that in mind, could you give us just a few points on what really differentiates the Strategic Alpha Fund from, from the rest of the category? Yeah, and this is something, I, like you said, I think is important for people to understand. We've been very explicit about this throughout the life of the fund, which is over 10 years now. So we always say we start with a risk tolerance level for our clients. It's a guidance figure with a volatility of about 4 to 6% through the cycle. We're not robotic about it, but we really don't want to drift above the 6% level, but we can drift below the 4%. We take risk when we think our clients are getting compensated for it, and we try to preserve principle when we think they're not getting compensated for it. And for that level of risk, we think we can return T-bills plus two to three-ish percent through the cycle as a, an additional kind of data set that we like, you know, since we view ourselves as an alternative to traditional core and core plus funds, we like to outperform those as well. 
which we've been able to do over the over the long run. And, and the key thing about this and why it's such a good complement to a fixed income lineup, you know, pair it up with uh, traditional fixed income is that it's an excellent diversifier. You know, within core core plus, you know, particularly ones that are, you know, wrapped around the index, their dominant feature, their dominant risk factor is going to be in, in interest rate risk. That's what is going to move those the most. And we diversify with that with a very low correlation figure, you know, pretty much all the time relative to that. So we add diversification. And part of that is because we're structurally shorter on a duration front. So the ag is going to remain five plus. We can't, we generally don't go above five duration. We're running, you know, typically between zero to five year duration. And then the rest of our risk budget will go to other things. Now, last thing we do is try to give you the same look and feel on a downturn perspective too. So in a drawdown. So a lot of people think absolute return. They say, oh, no drawdowns. It doesn't mean no drawdowns. You know, if you're taking a four to 6% standard deviation, that will give you uh, an idea of what the downers drawdowns can look like. But we do seek to preserve principle through the cycle. We try to limit those those drawdowns to something that you would be living with with a traditional kind of fixed income. And I think if you look at our long-term numbers, particularly what I think uh, we're most happy about is over a three-year period, you know, when rates really started to drive higher, the ag is just down annually on a three-year rolling basis, I believe, or two or three-year rolling basis, whereas this fund is uh, actually made money over that period of time. So, you know, that's that's given you a sense of what this fund can do. It's not just an interest rate hedge type of instrument. It can do well through all type of periods. Uh, but that's an example where we can actually be actively managing the fund to, you know, preserve principle, you know, give whatever the risks that are coming our way. Well, actually earning a lot of extra return in the process. Absolutely. And now when we speak to the attribution of the fund, we often break it down into the three main buckets of risk or, that you can either lever into or, or hedge away, which is credit risk, duration risk, and currency risk. For the second quarter, preliminary performance had the fund down roughly about 10 basis points, a slight reversal from stronger performance in the first quarter, but still broadly outperforming, to your point, a lot of more traditional, more ag-like fixed income. And again, speaking in, in those broader buckets I mentioned before, could you talk about what the major drivers and detractors of return were for the quarter? Yeah, sure. You know, if you look at the, the quarter, Treasury yields rose. I mean, it was part of the pricing out of Fed cuts. You know, the, the beginning of the year, the market was adamant that the Fed was going to be cutting, you know, after a downturn occurred and that they were kind of reaching their, their crescendo. And, and that got extended out. And a lot of the cuts that were priced into the end of this year, which sounds kind of crazy, right, where we're standing now, were priced out. And even into 2024, I think the first rate cut now in the marketplace is not priced in until the middle of next year, about a year from now. So that pushed out from the end of the this year to the middle of next year. And with that, the whole treasury curve uh, lifted upwards. So, you know, if you look at where we were standing at the end of March, the front end of the curve is up about six, 60 to 70 basis points on the very short end out to the 10-year part, about 40 to 50 basis points and, and so on. So the curve 
inverted a bit uh, more, so it remains significantly inverted as what you would expect in this phase of the cycle, and even the longer end, but it was sort of a bear inversion. Uh, so that weight on the fund, but less than because we've been managing our duration very short. You know, we've been managing around the two-year. The curve effect for us was about 100 basis points uh, associated with the yield curve, maybe a little bit more than that. Offsetting that was the carry uh, of the portfolio. The carry of the portfolio is fairly significant now. So we're kind of rolling that our strategy has been kind of pulling to par on the short end of the curve with spread product. So keeping our interest rate duration relatively short, our interest rate exposure relatively limited, and our spread duration also relatively short. I call it sort of a double barrel, pull to par type of strategy, taking advantage of the high yield in the front end the curve and, and you know, earning those. So the yield curve effects, you know, dropped down a part of the performance and that was made up from the carry and a few good bond picks on the win column. We had a number of our credits starting to, you know, the ones that we've been buying, we can talk more about it, but, you know, there's been just incredible dispersion in the market if you lift the hood and look under. And we've been leaning into some of our favorite credits and names like Uber and some of the cruise lines like Carnival Cruise, Norwegian Cruise, which we've been accumulating really since the uh, pandemic are really starting to you know, turn around and go the other direction. So those added uh, a few basis points along the way as well. What would you say are the largest differences in, in overall positioning between a quarter ago and today? We are lengthening our duration. So one of the themes really over the past year has been gradually pushing out the yield curve. And we've started at the very front end of the curve and moved that out. And, you know, our buy target for the long end of the curve has been about a 4% in the 10-year or more. So when we kind of hit those levels, we push the the you know, our shorter investments out, you know, we've done this through mainly through the uh, futures market and we've extended out. So we started uh, below when all this started, we were well below two years duration, you know, when rates were very, very low going back to 2020, 2021. And we've gradually pushed that out to two by the beginning of this year. And right now we're standing up above three years. So we pushed it out and we're locking in those those higher yields. Um, you know, it, it's been a challenge with our benchmark being being T bills. You know, thinking about cash, cash is yielding a lot, right? So, you know, to go out the curve, you're kind of like giving up a little bit of cash, uh, you know, yield, current yield. So the the trick is at some point that's even though you're giving up yield in the front end, you should want to go out. To the long run to capture that that duration and and lock in those higher yields because the front end will all of a sudden viciously come down and you'll have reinvestment rate risk on your hands again so you want to lock in say something like the five to ten year part of the curve so that's what we're gradually doing it's been a long process longer than i think people have expected as the mark as you can see in the market and so we just did that recently. Another sort of feature that we have is we've been instituting a, a steepener, which should work well and almost as a way to kind of extend out um, the curve. I mean, it should work well if indeed uh, the economy is starting to slow down, the Fed's pausing, you know, we're likely to see the front end, you know, the five-year end move more firmly if, if and when the Fed starts even just 
talking about uh, cutting rates, which may not be towards the end of the year. But, you know, there's possibility that uh, the policy is biting a little bit harder. You know, you start to get weaker numbers relatively fast. That front end will come down pretty quickly and we'll, you know, we'll lock that in. The long end, I think, you know, maybe the 10-year can go down to about 3%, maybe. But I think, you know, more likely you'll get a steepener and given our longer term view on inflation and such, I think there'll be more term premium in the long end of the curve <clears throat> built in than it had been during the QE period. So uh, I think a steeper curve makes sense to us and kind of in the five-year part of the, of the market might be the best way to play that for a fund like this. Great. Thank you, Matt. And again, from a high level, where are you and the team looking for opportunity right now? Are there any areas that you're you're finding a particularly attractive or, or watching or avoiding for the portfolio? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that we've been highlighting is the credit market and the risk premium, which all along really for now, I would say almost a full year, pretty much a full year now has been pretty attractive. And it's been kind of climbing a wall. It's been a wall of worry. You know, you've got it's sort of like the equivalent of when stocks go higher, they call it a wall of worry. And I think the credit markets have had a similar kind of fear associated with them because, like I said before, everybody's been expecting a downturn. But what we found is that in the since they've been expecting the downturn, if you look at what's priced into the risk premium, that's been priced in. And, and remember, the way we think about risk premium, the value in the market with credit, it's all about losses, right? The premium you earn from in, in terms of spread, the premium is the spread that you observe in the market minus the expected losses that you might you know, realize by investing in that particular sector. And those losses come from downgrades and in the case of speculative grade, you know, defaults. And what we found is the, the amount the market is forecasting in losses and relative to where the spreads are priced, you're actually left with a pretty decent risk premium. In fact, for high yield, it's above the median. And even for investment grades, a little bit above the median. And people find that a little bit hard to swallow because spreads optically look relatively narrow for where one might expect uh, them to be in a downturn. But it goes back to what do you think the downturn is going to look like and what does it mean for losses? And we actually think that, you know, given that we don't see a lot of excesses built up during this relatively short cycle, we don't see a lot of losses, uh, you know, on the horizon. So that, with that in mind, we've kind of still leaned into credit and like I said, that's been a positive now for the better part of a year for the fund. So the the sweet spot for us has been in the triple B, double B segment of the market where we're overweight. That's where there's a number of fine companies. I think on the investment grade side, a lot of investors have kind of moved up in quality and the triple B segment has been sort of underbought and a lot of good opportunities there. In high yield, we think there's a lot of great companies in the double B, single B area that we think have much less default risk than pricing in the market. And we're just accumulating those things like Uber is one of them. You know, I talked about Royal Caribbean, Norwegian Cruise Lines. Those are trading with considerable premiums. And we're just looking to harvest those premiums just, you know, with our, you know, our credit risk. And that that goes back to Somebody, somebody asked me, do you like investment grade, high yield, um, you know, corporate bonds? I like triple B, double B segment of that market. I think structured finance is, is a great 
place to be for the spread that you get there and the quality of the investments and security. So we're, you know, we've got a, a healthy allocation there, 32 percent. Uh, high yield is about, you know, a net position of something like uh, 15 percent. You know, we've got pockets in the CLO in, uh, area where I think spreads are wide. We're picking away at the bank loan area, only 1 percent there, but a lot of uh, value per- percolating there. But the way we invest, it's much less the top down of that particular sector, and it's much more the dispersion that we see within those sectors when our credit team looks under the hood, I call it, and they see the individual names and where they're, they're, they're spread and where they're trading. There's a lot of names that look very attracted to us. And some of those are, like I said, in the solid triple B, double B. There's a few that extend down into the um, lower quality segment. And we've been adding into those, you know, including some that some people might view as kind of specky like Dish Communications and uh, Altice US that are trading at very significant discounts. But that's where we see very good value and relatively limited downside because of where the dollar price are. So, you know, getting back to the overall market, people are like, they narrowly look at the spreads and they say, ah, the spreads aren't there. But when you look at the total yield of these markets, so the absolute yield, and then also importantly, the dollar price, because remember as dollar prices go down, your margin of safety increases as a credit investor. So we're seeing you know, very significantly uh, dollar prices being low just because rates went up. Um, so the average dollar prices in some of these markets is the lowest that I've ever seen in my career aside from distressed markets. And this is not a distressed market. So that creates super great bond picking opportunities. And I feel like this fund has a a lot of potential energy associated with those names that over time, you know, will bear fruit, you know, and so they, they keep popping up, you know, recently, you know, Icon Enterprises was in, you know, Carl Icahn's company was in the, in the news, the short seller hitting the stock, the bonds got smashed. You know, we look at that as having very good coverage from the assets that uh, Carl has in his funds. And, you know, so we picked those up at, you know, 80 cents in the dollar, you know, and 10% plus type yields. So those are really kind of interesting opportunities that we see, but it's, you know, it's more spotty than it is, uh, you know, there's a lot of names like that, but it's, it's, you know, it's not like one of these markets where it's not like a 2020 market where the whole market is coming at you. It's very, you know, specific names and that's where, you know, our credit research skills come into play here. And, you know, we can be good bond pickers. Absolutely. And I think a, a great way to end it. Thank you so much for your for your insight today, Matt, and for your time. Um, and for our listeners, if you'd like to learn more about the Strategic Alpha Fund and how Matt and his team run the strategy, please reach out to your Natixis wholesaler. Or you can visit us on our website at im.natixis.com. Important information. Standard performance as a percentage for Luma Sales Strategic Alpha Fund as of June 30th, 2023. Class A at NAV, three months, negative 0.17%. Year to date, 1.53%. One year, 2.86%. Three years, 0.48%. Five years, 1.28%. 10 years, 1.90%. Class A with 4.25% maximum sales charge. Three months, negative 4.42%. Year to date, negative 2.83%. One year, negative 1.52%. Three years, negative 0.95%. Five years, 
years, 0.40%, 10 years, 1.45%, class Y, 3 months, negative 0.10%, year to date, 1.55%, 1 year, 3.14%, 3 years, 0.74%, 5 years, 1.52%, 10 years, 2.15%, ICEB of A3 month treasury bill index, 3 months, 1.17%, year to date, 2.25%, 1 year, 3.59%, 3 years, 1.27%, 5 years, 1.55%, 10 years, 0.98%, ICEB of A3 month treasury bill index plus 300 basis points, 3 months, 1.89%, year to date, 3.74%, 1 year, 6.60%, 3 years, 4.26%, 5 years, 1.55%, 10 years, 0.98%, 30-day SEC yield, Y, subsidized equals 5.91%, 30-day SEC yield, Y, unsubsidized equals 5.88%, performance data listed represents past performance and is no guarantee of, and not necessarily indicative of, future results, total return and value will vary, and you may have a gain or loss when shares are sold, current performance may be lower or higher than quoted, for most recent month-end performance, visit imnatixis.com, performance for other share classes will be greater or less based on differences in fees and sales charges, performance for periods less than one year is cumulative, not annualized, returns reflect changes in share price and reinvestment of dividends and capital gains, if any. Top 10 holdings for the Loomis Sales Strategic Alpha Fund as of June 30, 2023. JP Morgan Chase & Company 2.595% February 24, 2026. 0.84% of portfolio. Tiva Pharmaceutical Finance Netherlands 3BV 4.1% October 1, 2046. 0.89% of portfolio. Rocket Mortgage LLC Rocket Mortgage Co-issuer. Inc. 2.875% October 15, 2026. 0.95% of portfolio. Morgan Stanley 1.164% October 21, 2025. 0.96% of portfolio. Uber Technologies, Inc. 4.5% August 15, 2029, 1% of portfolio, U.S. Treasury Notes 4.5% November 30, 2024, 1% of portfolio, U.S. Treasury Notes 4.375% October 31, 2024, 1.03% of portfolio, CCO Holdings LLC CCO Holdings Capital Corp 5.125% May 1, 2027, 1.36% of portfolio, U.S. Treasury Notes 4.25% December 31, 2024, 1.69% of portfolio, Republic of South Africa Government Bonds 8.5% January 31st 2037 1.86% of portfolio the portfolio is actively managed and holdings are subject to change there is no guarantee the fund continues to invest in the securities referenced gross expense ratio 1.00% class a share 0.75% class y share net expense ratio 1.00% class a share 0.75% class y share as of the most recent prospectus the investment advisor has contractually agreed to waive fees and or reimburse expenses with certain exceptions once the expense cap of the fund has been exceeded this arrangement is set to expire on april 30th 2024 when an expense cap has not been exceeded, the gross and net expense ratios may be the same. The 30-day SEC yield is a standardized calculation, calculated by dividing the net investment income per share for the 30-day period by the maximum offering price per share at the end of the period and annualizing the result. Unsubsidized 30-day SEC yield is calculated using the gross expenses of the fund. Gross expenses do not include any fee waivers or reimbursement. A subsidized 30-day SEC yield reflects the effect of fee waivers and expense reimbursements. The SEC yield is not based upon distributions of the fund and actual income distributions may be higher or lower than the 30-day SEC yield amounts. During periods of unusual market conditions, the fund's 30-day SEC yield amounts may be materially higher or lower than its actual income distributions. Diversification does not guarantee a profit or protect against a loss. QE. Quantitative easing is a form of monetary policy in which a central bank, like the U.S. Federal Reserve, purchases securities from the open market to reduce interest rates and increase the money supply. CLO. A collateralized loan obligation is a single security backed by a pool of debt. GFC. Global financial crisis. A G. Agricultural credit refers to one of several credit vehicles used to finance agricultural transactions such as a loan, note, bill of exchange, or a banker's acceptance. This material is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment advice. There can be no assurance that developments will transpire as forecasted. Actual results may vary. The views and opinions expressed are as of July 12, 2023 and may change based on
on market and other conditions. Luma sales strategy alpha fund risks. Fixed income securities may carry one or more of the following risks. Credit, interest rate. As interest rates rise bond prices usually fall. Inflation and liquidity. Below investment grade fixed income securities may be subject to greater risks including the risk of default than other fixed income securities. Currency exchange rates between the US dollar and foreign currencies may cause the value of the fund's investments to decline. Derivatives involve risk of loss and may entail additional risks. Because derivatives depend on the performance of an underlying asset, they can be highly volatile and are subject to market and credit risks. Foreign and emerging market securities may be subject to greater political, economic, environmental, credit, currency and information risks. Foreign securities may be subject to higher volatility than US securities, due to varying degrees of regulation and limited liquidity. These risks are magnified in emerging markets. Mortgage-related and asset-backed securities are subject to the risks of the mortgages and assets underlying the securities. Other related risks include prepayment risk, which is the risk that the securities may be prepaid, potentially resulting in the reinvestment of the prepaid amounts into securities with lower yields. Commodity-related investments, including derivatives, may be affected by a number of factors including commodity prices, world events, import controls, and economic conditions and therefore may involve substantial risk of loss. Non-diversified funds invest a greater portion of assets in fewer securities and therefore may be more vulnerable to adverse changes in the market. Short exposures using derivatives may present various risks. If the value of the asset, asset class or index on which the fund holds short investment exposure increases, the fund will incur a loss. The potential risk of loss from a short exposure is theoretically unlimited, and there can be no assurance that securities necessary to cover a short position will be available for purchase. We believe the information, including that obtained from outside sources, to be correct, but we cannot guarantee its accuracy. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit im.natixis.com or call 8. 0-0-862-4863 for a prospectus or a summary prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully. Natixis Distribution, LLC is a limited-purpose broker-dealer and the distributor of various registered investment companies for which advisory services are provided by affiliates of Natixis Investment Managers. Natixis Distribution, LLC, Fund Distributor, Member FINRA, SIPC, and Loomis, Sales & Company, LP are affiliated. Attrax, 217-2184-231, Expiration Date, October 31, 2023, POD 07, June, 2023.